Madden Luke's Sci-Fi Sanctuary. The year is 3013. The galaxy is scintillating in the mellow light. Two galactic pilgrims seek out vistas in the samurai future to bring forth the unity of the cosmic shaman. Opening the door of the pantheon of mystics, the evil sorcerer wizard powers the engine of science, seeking to forever alter the sacred balance, traveling on effervescent balls of summer fire. This week, Arrival. In the year 2016, they arrived. And they arrive every year or two. They arrive like five times a year in the movies, right? Yep. But sometimes they oh, tell you the movie. The movie was 2016. Is that what you're saying? That's right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah, getting pelted with lasers in most of the movie. So today's movie arrival. Um, well, I guess the mili- Chinese military shoots some lasers. There's a bomb. But uh, yeah, we kind of jumped into this as a positive alien sort of movie. Yeah. As, as opposed to getting your face melted off, which, you know, can be cinematically fun. <laughs> but uh, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, uh, this is Matt. This is Luke. It's a sci-fi sanctuary. Uh, of course, it's Arrival. Our guest here today, um, well, Arrival has a fair amount about synchronicities. And uh, I brought in uh, our guest today through a bit of synchronicities, hearing him on a podcast, talking about being on that podcast because of synchronicities. I'm like, how far can we push that ball down the line? So uh, <laughs> from the portals of Ascension to Ascension, excuse me, portals to Ascension website is Neil Gower, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, brother. Nice to see you, Matthew. Nice to meet you, Luke. Hello. And uh, Neil, I, I did actually I want you to just sort of, I remember you having a very interesting story. I think starting in the UK yourself, is it? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, can you tell us born, a bit about your trip? What's that? Oh, yeah. Just tell us a bit about your trip, man. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I was born in London, but I moved to California when I was 12 years old. And I was raised, you know, I'm, my parents are from India, so I was raised with a Hindu background, but I pretty much didn't believe in anything. I just followed, you know, what I was told, followed the rites and rituals. One thing that I really, like, appreciate being raised Hindu was I was not ever told that my religion was the only way. So because I wasn't told this is the only way, I was really open to all types of different beliefs, um, including, like, the existence of Jesus, Moses, all types of ancient scriptures. When I turned 18 and I graduated high school in 2000, I started becoming curious about what the root of all of this was. I was seeing in all these religions that there's so many commonalities and um, similar stories and some stories, the exact same story. Like when we talk about Jesus, for example, the same story as Krishna, same stories as Hermes and so much beyond that. And I was wondering why we all focus so much on our differences Right, all these religions are saying how different we are from another, rather than all the the hidden in plain sight, really, or not even hidden. All the information that shows that there is some sort of common um, tradition, culture that we came from. So that started my search in at age 18, 2000, 2001, trying to figure out if there was a root to all religion. That portal to ascension basically began with that thought: Is there a root to all religion? 
as I was doing, as I was going down that route and looking for that, I also was like a really linearly minded person that was into science and I was finding out about quantum physics. Pretty soon I realized that some of these ancient cultures had metaphors in their texts that was relating to some sort of quantum energy, realization of the subatomic particles, whether it's um, the Buddha talking about Kalapas, which literally translates to subatomic particles, or if it's the Sumerian text with images of DNA and images of like wormholes and um, a DNA coming out of it with a human, maybe representing some sort of hybridization. So I started connecting um, ancient civilizations to a very ancient awareness of quantum physics and the subatomic world. And that just started my whole journey really down the rabbit hole for around eight years from 2001 to 2008. I was deep into it. I even went so deep that I went a little too deep. I went into the conspiracies hardcore and I was like in a place of fear where I started following bloodlines and tracking like ancient, um, ancient secret societies up until modern time. And I really got to a point where I thought we were completely screwed and that you know this reality is being controlled and it's been like this for thousands of years until 2008 where I had an, an epiphany and an awakening experience when I realized that everything that I was doing was you know uh, so spiritually based whether it's talking about the ancient civilizations and the spiritual awareness they had the level of consciousness they had or whether it's talking about the fact that we're all vibration and frequency and each dimension is a bandwidth of vibratory frequency and when you shift your vibration into a higher octave you also shift into another dimension all of this was the awareness i was into but i wasn't really feeling fulfilled so in 2008 i started realizing that the darkness and all this craziness i see in the world is actually working for the light and that we signed up to get this experience this duality so that we can come here and really learn what it is that we don't want get the contrast so that we can create what we want and 2008, when I had that kind of understanding, you know, that's like a really small summary of like the actual awareness I got in that moment. I created Portal to Ascension. And since then, we've done over 4,000 events. I work with thousands of speakers. Um, at this point, um, I've done, I have an online university where we do around 110 events a year, summits, conferences, retreats, tours. About 80% of them are online, 20% of them are live. Like, for example, next year, we're going to Egypt. We're taking 20 people to Egypt. This year we have a, a retreat in Tulum and the information that we go through is everything and anything that can help uplift humanity. So whether it's self-empowerment, sound healing, the science of sound, ancient civilizations, what really happened in Egypt and how old Egypt really is. Uh, and then the topic of today, which is the extraterrestrial question, looking into not only the ancient connection to extraterrestrial civilizations, but also working with whistleblowers and giving people updates on what's really happening right now in the mainstream in regards to the disclosure of UFOs. And yeah, like I was saying, Arrival, I like, cause it is kind of a positive movie. It's, you know, it's science minded and spiritually minded at the same time. So yeah. um, I'll, I'll come out and Luke knows exactly what I'm talking. I've told this to Luke 87 times where I've had just a bit of uh, friction with this movie uh, just because I, I love psychedelic cover color, which Close Encounters has, and this doesn't. This one's very black and white. Um, <laughs> so, but I, when I watched it the first time in 2016, I, I kind of understood that this is good. Something's just not grabbing me. One, I think, is it needs two viewings for sure. Um, <laughs> and I, I hate to say this, but even after watching it last night, I'm like, I think this movie might be smarter than me. 
<laughs> like, I mean, sometimes we have to admit, like, when the movie is smarter than you, and this this may be the case. So, um, yeah. so you know, I I, I, got, I was expecting to like it better watching again last night, and I did, but still, it's just like, man, I'm yeah, I got to wrap my brain around this. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's next level. There's so many things overlapping in there. You know, there's a lot of things that I caught watching it again today that I never saw in the first place. Luke, is this your first viewing? I think this was a waiting for the podcast to get to it sort of movie. Yeah, I remember it coming out. And for whatever reason, I didn't see it at the time. And then once we started this podcast, it was like, well, I guess I'll watch it when we do it for the podcast. So, yeah, I watched it for the first time last night. First impressions then? Yeah, I liked it. Um, cool aliens, cool designs, great music. Yeah. Yep. Um, I liked its depiction of time. Should I have told you to watch it twice? No, I, I got it. Okay. No, yeah. I'm just um, smarter than you, I guess. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> last night I messaged and, and I was like, oh, you want Star Wars or the, or the arri- or, excuse me, Arrival? And you were like, I'll take Star Wars. I was like, oh, crap. So. Oh, yeah, he, he wants to know who should write the plot. And it's like, well, I literally have seen it once. So probably Matt should write the plots and opposites. Yeah, and um, I, that that is the correct answer and i have written it and if it's a hot mess i just i apologize in advance so i hope you've yeah. hidden, i hope you've written the whole thing as one long palindrome oh jeez oh, uh, i should have <laughs> it's, it's too bad i did that in the 15 minutes leading up to this podcast but here we go <laughs> is visited by 12 large alien craft which station themselves in various locations around the world. Of course, the U.S. government has constructed a military installation right next to one and calls on linguist Louise Banks and physicist Ian Donnelly to try and communicate with the aliens. After breaking multiple protocol rules, the two begin to work out the aliens' language in a basic rubric for translation. But translation also means thinking differently. Beyond things like grammar and syntax, the large organisms, which seem somewhere between a squid and a tree, observe reality from a perspective in which past, present, and future all exist simultaneously. The Chinese military, meanwhile, has been playing games with their own visiting craft and are ready to go to war with them once they begin talking about using weapons. Things also start to sour at the Montana site as rogue soldiers plant a bomb killing one of the aliens in that craft. Louise's contact with the aliens has also altered her perception. She remembers future events, some involving her not-yet-born daughter, who will also succumb to illness at age 12, and a future United Nations dinner where the world's nations seem to be getting along relatively fine. She goes a bit off the grid, has a final visit with a surviving alien, and makes an unsanctioned phone call to the Chinese general repeating the last words that his dead wife said, which helps to diffuse the escalation with the aliens. It turns out that the weapon is words, and this language will help humanity grow. The ships peel off back into outer space. They are helping now because they will need humanity's help in 3,000 years' time. 
Okay. See, I just confused myself reading that. So <laughs> you, you did a great job. There. <laughs> but yeah, there's a there is a fair amount to, to peel around, you know, your head with this one. Um, usually we just do a little talk about the actors. And when I started watching this again last night, actually two nights ago, if you want to be um, for reals, but uh, I totally and utterly forgot that Jeremy Renner was in this. So, <laughs> well, I having not seen the film, it was like, oh, it's the film with Amy Adams. And then the other day when we said to our colleague, Demetria, oh, we're watching Arrival. And she goes, oh, the Jeremy Renner film. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I would describe it as a Jeremy Renner film. He's in there. But... Yeah, he's just kind of here, you know? I, I definitely remember, you know, this This is, I guess, peak Amy, Amy Adams time. We had a, mm. oh, a American Hustle. I, I I saw the Muppet movie a lot. Excuse me, not the Muppet movie, The Muppets, which she, right. she stars in. So um, I do think this is one of the better kind of, I guess she's a linguist, but uh, one of the better scientist depictions in a film. She does she, genuinely come across like she's as smart as they're saying she is. Yeah. Which, as we discussed in Stargate, is not always the case in these things. <laughs> right. But yeah, this, I feel like I haven't seen her in much recently. I don't know. Uh, obviously, she did like Man of Steel and Justice League, but then, yeah. That's a while ago. I'm just, I'm concerned she aged out because she's a really good actor <laughs> and uh i guess she's probably about my age or slightly younger so yeah. then again i haven't seen anything other than like marvel films and dune for the past 10 years they're not making any films <laughs> yeah it's kind of like how toby mcguire showing up in that last spider-man was like almost shocking because he hasn't done any like blockbusters recently so yeah we all just saw him age like 10 years all of a sudden. So <laughs> I'm sure Amy Adams has been up to stuff, but yeah, she's great in this. Um, I guess that is, are we, fin is that the actors? It's basically the Amy Adams show. I mean, she was in the woman in the window. That was her last thing. It's a Netflix movie. Okay. Ah, yes. Since then, she's only been in like one other movie since, since 2016. Huh. Maybe she's concentrating on other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. fine. I, I just, I have that little fear like, oh, here's an actress I really like that's possibly being aged out. There's been a few others where that happened. Um, who was it in the 90s? There's a giant actress in the 90s who just kind of vanished. And well, well we just we just did a couple of Andy McDowell films. You don't see her much anymore. Um, <laughs> there's a, yeah, there's one example of someone who was in everything in the 90s and actually did go and just go off to like focus on their own life and all that sort of stuff. But uh, yeah, uh, there's obviously also Forrest Ritter. Forrest Whitaker in there. Admittedly, yeah. he's just playing like the pretty typical, you know, here's the army guy role. Yeah. But he yeah, does a good of... job with it. Like he comes across like he genuinely cares while still being the following orders man. But um, you know, not to not to jump past the actor gun too far, but I guess the main characters here besides um doc besides the doctor are the uh big, you know, non-anamorphic yeah aliens <laughs> Abbott and Costello there Abbott and Costello yes so I guess I, I let's jump a little straight to talking about them uh as design how did you feel I I ended up writing somewhere between a squid and a tree of course but... they reminded me a lot of the tripods from the tv show well the aliens from the tv show version of the tripods okay yeah yeah that um oh. A pretty obscure 80s British TV, so I'm not surprised you haven't seen it. That's, but that's yeah, brilliantly a, alien. There was a scientific study that came out uh, where 33 scientists had, and I researched this just to 
make sure I was right because I remembered something along these lines that they believe that octopus, um, which it looks like a squid octopus, you know, um, one of the theories is that it came from an asteroid off planet because of the, the ET DNA that doesn't seem to have a direct evolution of anything on the planet and has 30,000 more genomes than the human, way more complex than the human genome. So I, I am pretty positive because like, I, I see that they put these like so much disclosure in these movies and like the list of all the things they said and even the small words, there was like a few times that they just dropped a word that was like a freaking bomb. That word right there just goes to show someone knew something. So they, they had like the octopus, right? And the arms, like these beings coming from another planet, but then also kind of look arachnoid too, kind of like spiders. Then well, obviously the ink coming out, you know, of the tentacles. I also liked that because you, usually you couldn't see the top of them. They're like in that mist. So the whole alien just looked like a hand. Yeah. Like you, it could have been just the hand of a much, much bigger creature, the way they were mm-hmm. moving and appearing. I definitely yeah, had like a, the, 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 yeah, the suckers definitely had me feeling like not at ease. Um, how she kind of just goes and touches hands on the on the glass or whatever with the sucker thing. I'm like, man, I, I don't I don't have the cojones for that. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I really like just in a more general sense the fact that they're not just humans in makeup. Like, yeah. I want to see aliens when I see my aliens. So I really like that in this film. Mm-hmm. Like, I love Star Trek, but ninety percent of the time when you see an alien in Star Trek, it's a dude with a slight different hominoid. Yeah, it's like different deformity on the forehead or the ears or something. They do, yeah. I guess they do explain that somewhere in Star Trek, but at the same time, yeah. But that's kinda... just, you know that's that's a throwaway, yeah, <laughs> way to shut you up. <laughs> like I definitely feel, despite my like, gee, I wish there was a little more color. I mean, it's a really cool design and feels very alien. Like you definitely mm, yeah. get the impression, real. yeah, yeah, more than like a gray, you know, because a gray still, you know you can get your you can wrap your head around that and and like you said luke we never except for the very even at the end when we do see the top it's still kind of like hazy and weird so Mm. and we never see we never see like gears and gizmos and tubes in their technology it's just this this like yeah what's the thing from 2001 it's very organic yeah well it's, it's just it's just a big black monolith we never see how any of it works Mm-hmm. It just does. I was sitting there thinking it's it's a sphere, what's well, ovaloid. And I was like, it's like half of a seed, right? Mm. And I, I don't know if that was like, you know, something they were, well, they probably were thinking about it because they designed it, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, they're planting the seed because they're going to come back in 3,000 years. So I guess maybe that's kind of a visual cue. <laughs> yeah. You know, one of the, the interesting things is I remember when I went to see it, right? I left the theater and I, I feel like so many people just left scratching their heads because the reason why I like this movie was because it didn't have the, um, the negative alien, the evil alien thing, which is pretty much always the, um, you know, there's some sort of climax in the movie. And it's normally that there's this bad guy that we're trying to conquer, right? In this movie, it might as well have been a documentary of First Contact because there was no climax on that level. And I could you not, man, we left the theater. I've, I don't have a good, strong, long-term or short-term memory, but I remember these moments. We literally walked out of the theater and people were talking shit. And it was, it was because they didn't realize what just occurred. It just ended. You know, there was no, even the, the only people that were kind of like negative 
were could have been Russia and China, but that wasn't even played out enough to for it to even be some sort of you know conflict. The only conflict that occurred with them wasn't even against the U.S. It was China saying that aliens are trying to divide us as humans. Okay, so it wasn't even like anything there. It was basically just like a matter of fact, as if we're peeking in to what this kind of experience would be. So to me, it was a great exploration of how we would look, how first contact would look on the planet, rather than having all this Hollywood, you know, component added to it. Yeah, it was, I, I did occur to me like several times watching this, I was like, did this play in China? And if so, was it successful? Because it's, right. they, they are shown as being the, uh, I guess, the hot-headed nation in this movie, but in the end, the general, of course, you know, makes the right decision and, and shows up as very erudite at the end of the movie, right? Mm. Um, the other one is I know uh, the Chinese government hates time travel stuff. They don't want that. In this movie, I'm like, does this count as time travel? <laughs> they might like this one because this movie was like, oh, history was fated to happen and this is how it had to happen. Yeah. And isn't their problem with time travel? They don't want to suggest that you could ever go back and edit the glorious works of chairman Mao or whatever yeah that, yeah i guess if you just know about everything that's that's fine being omnipotent is fine just not actually right. traveling through time because <laughs> you a- guys are aware about the whole china uh, hollywood connection right that basically hollywood needs to make movies that china will accept oh yeah that's that's totally what i'm alluding to <laughs> yeah, yeah. it so. did release in china but it didn't do very well Oh, and if anyone's yeah. screaming at their um, phone right now, omnipotent is what I was going for. All knowledge, not all power. Omniscient. Omnip- oh, I got it wrong twice. Okay, you can punch, <laughs> you can punch me through the Zoom then. <laughs> I ain't always good with them words, son. <laughs> but, oh, there uh, was one scene because I was watching it on Amazon Prime, which um, had English voices, but Japanese subtitles. There was a bit at the end where she's talking to the alien. Did you have English subtitles for what it was writing? I didn't. Oh, oh, wait, wait, wait. Yes. Yes, I did. It was, uh, they were burned into the screen, I thought. Yeah, well, I only had the Japanese subtitles. Oh, I mean, I thought they were like part of the film, but uh, sorry, now I'm, I didn't write it down, though. So. I, I, I mean, I, I could follow what was happening, but yeah, I, I, I sort of realized, like, oh, I think I meant to be able to read this. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um. I think maybe that's where they say they're coming back in 3,000 years. I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, 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 because I didn't. It was an actual subtitle from the, she was getting, I think she was getting a telepathic download yeah. in that moment because she understood it and it was just showing us on the screen. That's what you're talking about, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that you didn't mention in your plot synopsis, Matt, but which was a great part of this film. Um, so obviously, yeah, she has the daughter who she hasn't had yet. But you spend like the first two thirds of the film thinking that's a flashback. Yeah. Right. And then exactly. eventually you realize, oh, she's actually flashing forward. I thought that was done very well. Well, I mean, I, I hope it's not cheating. Of course, I, th- I think both of us glance at the wiki a bit when we um, write these mm. summaries, right? So when I went to the wiki, the first line was uh, sorry, I got to scroll up just a bit, but I did. I think the reason that I did it the way I did it was the first line is linguist Louise Banks' daughter Hannah dies at the age of 12 from an incurable illness and then blah 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 aliens so i was like i can't start my summary that way so and i was like (laughs) well it's future events anyway so i guess i will just sit on it till it's time to mention it yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) Um, but like it's one of those great moments where once you figure it out you've realized how many clues it had given you yeah 
um, like talking about the dad and you realize oh right that was jeremy renner all along and yeah 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 so on and so forth but i i mean honestly yes uh color me stupid but that it it didn't i did have to like the first time i saw it, it i was like huh it didn't quite track you know mm. I mean, I was also watching it late at night with a with a drink in hand. So, um, <laughs> I mean, there is that going on as well. But yeah, once you get your head around it, of course, it, it is cool. So that that's why I was curious if I was like, should I have told you to watch it twice? But uh, I mean, even if you do, you'll you'll certainly catch on to more of those hints and stuff. So yeah, yeah it's definitely a film I will watch again at some point. something that i kept thinking about during this um in part because we're planning to do this film later this year for the um vonnegut one would be 100th birthday is uh slaughterhouse five mm. where billy pilgrim the, the main character has also been given a slash gift gift slash curse from aliens and he exists at all points of his life randomly right know? So she's having the memories. She's she is, I guess, living physically. She's living her linear life. Right. But mentally, she's jumping into the future. Uh, it doesn't seem she's having so many actual memories. But B Billy Pilgrim will have this Zoom conversation, walk through the door and then be in like a war 20 years ago and walk, uh, you know, a bomb will blow up near him. And then suddenly he's like in the alien zoo where he spent a few years. So it's, you know, pretty yeah. wild stuff. But <laughs> but that came to mind part where they said um, Luis sees into the future. That was when they, the words were at the bottom and she was having telepathic connection. They said, Louise sees into the future. And that, at that point, I didn't realize that her daughter was like, you know, going to come later. So I mm. thought that it was that her daughter's name as well. Maybe they're talking about the daughter seeing the future, but they were talking about how she's been seeing the future unfold all this time. Now, I tracked the daughter's Hannah because my, my daughter's name is Hannah, so... <laughs> uh, yeah well because of um because your daughter's name is hannah i wasn't um wasn't until they actually talked about it that i realized the whole her name is a palindrome thing because i was mentally spelling it the japanese way that's how my daughter's name is spelled so yeah it didn't catch to me either did it because uh yeah I, actually it's this is weird i just talk about language when when my daughter was born my wife and i were deciding what her name was going to be mm. she said hannah Ha ha well, she said Hannah. I heard Hannah like in this movie, right? Yeah. And I, and I didn't like that name, but then she was like, no, 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 it's Hannah, like Japanese. I was like, oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's just weird, like, as the Western version, I was like, no, I don't like that name. But then as the Japanese version, I was like, yeah, it's fine. So yeah, oh, see, I, I'd always assumed that you'd gone with that name because it's like one of the few names that exists in both. That was part of the thought, yes. <laughs> okay. So did you guys catch at all the part where Dr. Ian came in when he first came in, you know, with Luis and um, started asking questions about how it's communicating. And he said, were there any shapes? And then he said, just really quick, is, was he communicating, are they communicating in Fibonacci? Mm. Did you guys hear that part? Yeah, 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 I caught that. 
that so, I don't so I don't know if I caught it, but it makes sense. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's interesting because that's pretty much like the premise of how matter is created, how sacred geometry, even mitosis, how things are built, right? Even our galaxy has a Fibonacci spiral. So, mm. you know, it was just like these little things here and there that they kind of dropped that really have so much more meaning than just that little moment that they spent on it. Yeah, I what I did catch is they're like, you know, obviously they're like, we need to try math because that's universal language. And then they're like, they don't understand algebra. <laughs> so it's like, I guess the Fibonacci is like more basic. So you can work with that. Whereas algebra has too many constructs because we have yeah. to create we have to create our own symbols to do algebra. So yeah, they, they made them seem so like advanced and so primitive at the same time, time, like so childlike and dumb, like they didn't get certain things that they had to start like it was a baby. So it was kind of like a contradiction because these beings were like beyond anything that we can even fathom. But at the same time, we had to figure out how to communicate with them instead of them having the awareness of how to communicate with us. Yeah, I guess. Uh, and Luke, you can uh, go either way on this, but I felt like as an English teacher, this film becomes slightly more stressful <laughs> 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 when they're trying to work out. OK, we got the basic words because, you know, that's what we have to do with very small children. Like we have to communicate with those. I mean, we'll try and get them to say sentences and things. But when we really need to get the point across, it's like use one. We don't want to use the Japanese word, even if we know it. Right. So we'll just like spout out this like caveman english when we if we really need a kid to understand something <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah but i it also it made it much more interesting because um like if you remove all the sci-fi element the interesting point that this film is making is the way thinking in a different language does change the way you think yeah i like that part um, and that's something that you notice because some of the students I teach, the ones who are really good at English at this point, um, when they're talking to me in English, they turn into these sassy, funny, like you, they could be an American teenager. But then when they tell you about their school life and they're so shy and sensible and Japanese, it is like two different people. Um, and like my Japanese is not at a very high level. But like my sense of humor does change when I'm trying to communicate in Japanese and my like my level of politeness and just my attitude to things is very different when I'm using Japanese. And for people I know who are like much more bilingual than I am, that is something they talk about. Like you're a different person in each of your languages. Yeah, my wife knows. And this isn't even necessarily a personality thing, although she has noticed she feels like she can be a little more direct in English. Right. Mm. But um. She, she was noticing that her voice is like does a different each language in like a different tone. Mm. Like she speaks in a higher tone in English and a deeper tone in Japanese. So she's a husky voiced Japanese speaking lady, but a, a kind of a higher pitched English speaking lady. See, I've mostly encountered people who do it the other way around. And like we had a colleague who sounded like a normal human being in English. And then she turned into this like almost irritating high pitched anime girl when she, she talked in Japanese. She do that. On, uh, yeah, my wife would do that on the phone because we were in the car and she was having <laughs> to make some business calls. And I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> but yeah, it is interesting. So um, the aliens kind of use these like Zen circles to, you know, uh, communicate. You know, of course, that's a big thing in Japan where you just the Zen painting. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was what's, what's that Japanese ancient tradition Shinto or something? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. It's, that has that symbol kind of right with the. With the snakes eating the tail too. That's uh, Shinto doesn't really have symbols, but yeah, the um, Ouroboros snake is common everywhere. Yeah, yeah I, I, I mean, 
it's all like kind of tied together in Japan, right? It's not like there's Buddhism and there's Shinto and there's Zen Buddhism. Yeah, like I, the name Shinto was only created like fairly recently because it's just a big collection of local like traditions. Uh, it's not really like an organized belief system. So yeah. the circle itself is, I guess, more of a Zen Buddhism tradition, but yeah. those Zen Buddhist monks probably had a few toes in Shinto for sure. <laughs> um, like here's kind of interesting where, you know, it's, uh, you know, the, the mountain has its own God, right? Mm. So, I mean, I, I guess that's sort of like how Hinduism works if I'm, if I'm not wrong, but just, you know, when you build a shrine, you're acknowledging like the God of that particular spot more or less, uh, because everything's a God, right? Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Okay. Sorry. Back, back to the, the Zen circles. So I did, I definitely found, um, interesting when they learned how to map them mm -hmm. like they were like mapping points for meaning and stuff and and i guess she had learned to read the squiggles like relatively quickly i mean they do say that what do they do it's like one or two months that they're actually working with these aliens right it's not like they just yeah she's at it full time for quite a while yeah so, so but what happened was that when she got taken and had that telepathic connection in dream state, but then she was actually there because she didn't go into that spacecraft. She was like all of a sudden there. And then she had this experience where she was behind the glass with them and they started speaking to her. She had telepathy that unlocked in her brain how to know their whole language. She could read it without having to translate it. I, I kind of read it as the other way around. That by think? learning so much of their language, then she was able to have the telepathic connection. I felt she had a trip on, oh, maybe the telepathic connection. Yeah, that's something different. I'm saying that when she was at the telepathic connection, because she tripped out when she opened that book and she was like, oh my God, like, I can read this. You yeah. Know? So it just seemed like she was surprised by the fact that she understood everything. Mm, but I think, because I, th I think what it was saying was learning their language is what lets your mind do that. Yeah. So I guess she she'd, she'd learned just enough that she could then connect to them and learn the rest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I was also wondering if there's, you know, like again, we're sitting here saying reading. She opened the book and she could read it. But these are, you know, these are like omissions from the aliens. I wonder if there's a certain and, and they have to bring her into the space. So I wonder if there's a part of this language where you actually really do just feel it, you know, like we talk mm. about human communication, you know, very large portion of it is non-verbal so by having the glass in the way i mean the, they want to touch like from the get-go right as soon as they mm. get out of the radiation suits they really want to make physical contact maybe because that language involves physical contact as well yeah right what do you guys make of like you know how in the beginning they went in the first time they went in and then all of a sudden it cuts them coming out and then she was like am i fired the way i took it was that something happened that the frequency was too intense because you know how they said the other people couldn't handle it or some people couldn't mm. handle it and that something happened where the beam came and they just got overloaded and they had to try again but they really don't tell us what happened there what do you guys feel went down i i so they say there's no emissions they can't tell if these things are communicating with each yeah. other there's no radiation or power my thought and this is just me thinking about it, is um there was some kind of you know like We'll, we'll call it radiation. I know they said the ships didn't have radiation, but a different kind of radiation that we or simply, vibration. yeah, we just have nothing to measure it with. And it was very intense in that space. Yeah. That, that's kind of where I landed. I, so too. Like a I mean, I don't know if you, like 
I mean, I, I researched different UFO government documents and people that I have contact with ETs and stuff. And I've heard stories about frequencies of these craft that people sometimes their bodies can't basically take the vibration of whatever's there, right? And mm. especially if there's super powerful beings that maybe exist in other dimensions and we're third dimensional beings. So I kind of took it as maybe exactly what you're saying. There's some sort of energy emanating from it that the human couldn't take, right? And I just want to say this, like it was to me, one thing was very interesting was the fact that they had, yeah, there was no radiation, no emissions coming from it. And just recently, uh, Elon Musk said that if ETs have visited the planet, that we would have picked it up with our sensors. But to me, that's kind of like thinking that our sensors and the way that we can basically quantify things are the most advanced that we can, that any being that comes to this planet will be utilizing something within our, um, within our wheelhouse of being able to perceive this, you know, whatever is coming off it. So, which completely doesn't mean that we're not being visited by ET. It just means that we don't have the technology to really sense what's going on with that. And it's kind of Wait, the same thing that happened in this movie. You're telling me Elon Musk thinks he knows everything? Surely not. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, here, here's a thought. At the end, when I said they peel off into space, are we sure they're going into space? Or well, because sure it, it had space? that effect where, like, all the mist was coming off of them. Yeah, they just and it kind of looked like they just evaporated. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they probably went through like a portal or something. I would, I would think, back to their time, because they're not really from space. They're from, they're from another time in space. From the space between spaces. Well, that's mm. what I'm getting at. Like, I, you know, I, of course, I love the idea of we cop on the Enterprise, go to warp speed and find aliens. But like more realistically, I'm like, you know, UFO alien encounters for me would be like, well, some of it would be like weird military stuff. And some of it may be interdimensional, not necessarily interstellar, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Straight up, man. You know, the whole military thing, too, like that is pretty, pretty interesting because they really I feel they did it really close to how I would think it would actually happen on earth if this occurred, you know, and everything was basically fear-based about the military um, trying to figure out what's going on. And I don't know if you guys are following, you know, the UFO disclosures from the military in the last seven years, but before seven years ago, it was all like grassroots movement to disclose ETs. And then all of a sudden the NASA, the CIA, and a bunch of other people came out with the fact that UFOs are real, and now the whole entire movement has been taken over by the Pentagon and the DOD. Mm. And it's literally because they are seeing craft and they're wondering, are there foreign adversaries? Or if they're not foreign adversaries, whatever these craft are, do they have um, some malintent, right? So they kind of played on that in this whole story. And actually, interesting enough, 2016, 2017 is when the first drops of the UFO disclosure occurred from the military, which was the same time this movie came out. Well, I liked um, there was the little CIA, CIA guy in the room all the time. And he would just jump in with like these absolute assumptions based on nothing of what their terrible yeah. intentions could be. Like, you know, they would say something innocuous and he'd be like, oh, they're trying to divide us up and conquer us. And then she's like, what did they what did they say that made you think that? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that that's how Fair these brilliant. when you get to that kind of position in a group like the CIA, it's because you think like that all the time. I mean, the, you know, in this case, the Chinese at least did, like, take what they were told and, and ran with that. They didn't quite understand what they were told, but mm. <laughs> which is why they were uh, getting their yeah, missiles ready. It was but... a misunderstanding. Exactly. You know? Well, yeah, but... because human language does use so much of, like, the words weapon, war, yeah. attack. 
So if those are the words you teach them, then yeah, that's how they're going to reply. And like they said, we're playing aggressive games with them. So of course they're going to use that language. Like, you yeah. know, if, 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 well, Luke and I, uh, we've, we've played Mario Kart and it's not too long before we start screaming obscenities at each other, you know? So <laughs> <laughs> that's just what happens when you start playing a competitive game. <laughs> mm-hmm. But then it's, you know, it's, it, it's so high stakes, I guess, when you're also making first contact, which is, right. yeah. Yeah, I think the CIA guy even said, like, um, how can this be used against us? Like, when they were coming out with, when they said something or the, I think the, the ETs basically presented some sort of pattern. And the first thing they jumped to was like, what is this about? And what are they going to do to use it against humanity? Mm-hmm. So lots of fear-based stuff in there. I want to jump back. You mentioned the vibrations a few minutes ago. And um, yeah. and at the end, yeah, uh, when she's in the mist space, it, it, it isn't. Yeah, it's not 100 percent clear if that's a physical thing or a construct. I guess the, the point being, like, I'm thinking, like, you know, when people are getting into trying to do astral projection or lucid dreaming, there's sort of that stage when you start vibrating like mad. And that's basically where it's either you're going to abort or, or start having a lucid dream or something, right? Yeah. And uh, I just wonder if the space that the aliens live in is like that, and they're just manifesting physically just for this encounter. That's definitely a possibility because they leave that up to us to speculate upon. Exactly. Know, I mean, I like, saw the glass with that. I kind of thought it was like an interdimensional realm. Yeah, it's like I'm getting eight times trippy with that, but hey, may Dune after this, so. <laughs> well, and then again, that would, like I said, they appear like they're just a hand. Because if this is just, this is not their body, this is just them making an excursion into our realm, then it would come across like just a hand pushing in from whatever other place they occupy. Yeah, it's like if you want to, you know, trap a flatlander, all you have to do is, is it flatland where all you have to do is put them in a square because they can't get out of the square, <laughs> you know, and that's that's where we're living. The aliens or the 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 other beings living in a more multidimensional space, possibly. Yeah, I definitely yeah, got design wise a lot of like Lovecraft Cthulhu vibes off them. But then just for once, they had good intentions, not unfathomable, terrible intentions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I liked it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, see, it never even occurred to me to call them monsters, right? Because we spent the whole movie trying to communicate with them. But, but yeah, this, this does rank on your, uh, your monster movie scale, doesn't it? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you just don't, I mean, behind you have all these similar creatures that are, you know, from the Godzilla movies that are destroying cities. So... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you could you could have th- these aliens like uh, size them up about three times and put them next to Godzilla, and you'd have you'd have that going on. That's just not where this movie is going. So, which which is they, cool. They protect protect us from Godzilla because <laughs> they need us to stay alive for three thousand years. Right, yeah. right. Well, Godzilla's a protector, isn't he? Now, some, sometimes. Which one are you watching? <laughs> sometimes Godzilla's the protector. Gamora is the one that's always in our corner, right? 
Yeah. He loves okay. children. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're taking it from the multi-dimensional aspect. I guess let's let's look a little more into the uh the space aspect. Um again, they could have come through a portal and Neil, that's in your wheelhouse. Uh do you wanna do you wanna give us your uh, interstellar uh sort of view? Yeah. All right, so I'll just say this, right? Because when I started getting into the whole question of extraterrestrials and if they exist in 2000, 2001, I, for me, from the beginning, it was always the interdimensional phenomena. And then over the last five or six years, I've had a lot of conversations with, you know, whistleblowers, UFO disclosure activists, whatever, like people into this stuff, where when I say extraterrestrial, they go, oh, wait, 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 wait. Oh, it's not extraterrestrial, it's interdimensional. And I'm like, it's, there's no real difference to me. So because a lot of these beings, even if they're extraterrestrial and they come from thousands of light years away, they're still going interdimensionally to get to our planet. Because obviously, if you go in the speed of light, it's going to take so long to get here. You're going to need to go in a stasis chamber or do some sort of thing. So a lot of the beings that we were speaking about, you know, back when I first woke up to this, fifth dimensional Arcturians, beings from Sirius living in the sixth dimension, these beings were other dimensional beings that use some sort of portal in order to get to Earth. So again, to me, the whole question of extraterrestrial, interdimensional, are one and the same. I highly doubt that there, oh, actually, look, I think everything under the sun probably could exist, but the fact that we're so far away from different planets and the only way for them to get here is to have some sort of portal technology or some sort of like force field that can go through a wormhole. So when this whole thing occurred here um, with, with arrival, immediately I had like, you know, that whole entire realm where the smoke, it looks so interdimensional. And then as soon as they said that they come from another time, you know, that definitely goes in alignment with that as well. A lot of people believe that these beings that are visiting us are actually us in the future or us in the future on other planets after we've left the earth and incarnated on planets. And that ties into the whole question of time. Because when you exist in the third, fourth dimension, you have two dimensions of space and two dimensions of time. You have linearity, a beginning and an end. When you go higher in dimensions, you add more points of time until you get secular time, until you get to the 13th dimension, which is the void, which is the singularity, the black hole, where time no longer exists. So as we move forward in time, we move out of linearity and we go into secular time, which is so interesting because they use the circle and they were talking about how that unlocks time. And then uh, when we transcend secular time, there is no beginning, middle and end. There is no future. Everything is happening simultaneously. So those are just some of the thoughts that I got from you know, watching this. I don't uh, then there's the bit where the aliens say there is no time and the Russians misinterpret it as, oh, you're out of time. We're going to get you. But they're just trying to explain to you. No, there is no time. Yeah. Well, dude, check this. Well, that's interesting because the whole Maya um, prophecy that the end of the world was actually the end of time. Right. And people translated it to the end of all time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's a part of the thing of getting older, but I, I don't get too many future premonitions. I don't want them, right? But I, I can find myself easily, you know, place almost placing my consciousness into past points in time. I, I was just talking with the, another guest about doing the movie Contact, and she was like, oh, yeah, it's a 25-year anniversary. I'm like, whoa, I'm in the theater right now on opening night of that movie. It's just one of those moments that sears in your brain. And you can, mm -hmm. I don't even know why there wasn't any particular reason for it. Um, 
it's just like that moment seared in my brain and I can always be there. Uh, the first year I was in Japan, I was about to go back home. I'm on my bicycle and I, that's where I had the realization. Yeah, I think I want to hang out here some more. And that, but that moment is, you know, seared in my mind. Right. And I can kind of revisit it. I mean, right now, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's another positive ET movie, right? The only real enemy was ourselves. Oh yeah. Well, just like this, it's people who just decide to bomb the stuff and, you know, burn it clean. Right. <laughs> But if yeah yeah uh, no no creepy uh, Boos, Jake Boosie in this one though thank God <laughs> they they tried they did have that kind of creepy guy who's scared of the aliens um I like he, he like no plot, plot plot device McGee he, like he had no character other than I'm here because you know I'm gonna do something bad at the end but it's like how the first shot of him there's like a little bit of that side eye right like yeah. Okay. I mean, that, that's that's a movie. That's Hollywood. It's like you got to you can't get into the guy's deep motivations because, well, he's not that. Im- he's just there to blow something up, basically. <laughs> yeah. OK. Yeah. You know, look, uh, there was one other thing. Did you guys notice the use of the number 12? Uh, I, I caught it like once. Was it a recurring thing? Yeah, it was a recurring thing, because as soon as I heard it the first time, I started listening to it because of the significance of 12 within the one, the number 13. So you have the 12 apostles, you have the one, you have the 12 tribes of Israel. So they said um, there was 12 ships, right? And then a few other times it dropped the number 12, but even the Pentecostals that burnt their church down and all killed themselves, they were talking about 12 sets of 12. And then right when it was saying the last word, it trailed out so we couldn't hear it. So it was just interesting that they were using that number as well. And within spiritual communities, you know, even within the Maya, calendar many ancient texts there's 12 sets or 12 like different realities and then usually the 12 all existed within one circle which equals 13 yeah i'm actually so, looking at my uh, my my kindle here which I, it's a book i haven't quite finished 53 percent. let the numbers guide you which i think is one book that kind of breaks down that idea and i'm, I'm looking at the chapters to see what oh no the chapters are just number one number two number three so i can't get the shorthand too bad <laughs> i do know you know one's a monad two's the duality three is the rectifying you know and and, and so on and so forth so but yeah yeah that the book i was reading i think also makes the whole thing on with with 12. Yeah. actually i was gonna ask because you brought up 13 13 you know uh the 13th apostles the, the one you maybe have to watch out for right so yeah <laughs> Is, is that just like what the unnatural number or something? Because uh, 12 is complete and 13, you said the void. Yeah, so that also goes into dimensions. Uh, Nassim Harriman has a good like seven hour video on this where he talks about the number 13. Um, I have a presentation where I have like 13, how it's been used, but it's in my presentation. I don't even remember. But basically, there's, there's so many different dimensions. There's parallel dimensions, there's infinite amount of dimensions. But if you think about dimensionality within our physical universe, this is not only esoteric wisdom, but also accepted by string theory and quantum physics within the last 10 years, is that there are basically 12 dimensions of this physical universe of our galaxy existing within this physical universe. And then there's a 13th dimension, which is the center of the void in the black hole in the Milky Way galaxy. So the whole understanding of um, the 12 apostles and Jesus being the 13th is a representation of the black hole because the singularity was God. And another example is the Mayans. Mayans also use the 13, the 12 within the one equals the 13. So the 12 dimensional realities within the one black hole, and they even have a name for it. They call it the central sun 
right? We hear this through so many ancient cultures, the central sun. Um, and the central sun, I even have a, this is the symbol, right? That they use for the central sun. It's not actually the sun in the center of our solar system. The central sun is the black sun, which is another term used, which is the, the Milky Way, the supermassive black hole in the center of the galaxy. So what, you know, Nassim Haramein, who's a, you know, a physicist and many others speculate upon is that the number 13 has always been a representation of how our karmic matrix cycle of this galaxy is, and that we're able to ascend to 12 dimensions before we get recycled into the 13th dimension and start the process again. But when we go into the 13th dimension, we have a choice to incarnate into another galaxy, another universe, or to go and basically go part of this reality again. And within that, you have seven dimensions, the first seven dimensions, now we have the seven dimensions of Mormonism, we have the seven, the seven layers of heaven, you know, seven is like a number utilized so many places, Pythagoras' number, he thought seven was the divine number. Seven dimensions, your physical body still exists, you're still a physical person, like we exist, we live on earth, we're walking around. Eighth dimension, the planet still exists, but you become pure energy. And then you completely, you continue to go up and up and up until you go to the 13th dimension. And then, you know, then you become the God consciousness. Then you know everything because you're tapped into the void of the singularity. So when they said the 12 right there, that's where my mind kind of went. So I guess we could like, which which dimension should we assume we're at? The, the fourth? Because we're moving yeah, through what I mean, we perceive I this think time? we're at the fourth. Because, okay, so basically the way it works is there's three dimensions, length, width, and height, right? Length, width, height. And then the fourth dimension is the location within the three, the lodging of it all. So the time and space exists from the fourth dimension. There's three dimensions, length, width, and height, but we don't exist within those dimensions unless we live in the fourth one, which is the time and space. So mm -hmm. a location within those three. Some people think that the fourth dimension is the astral realm and it's the portal to another reality. But mainstream science, I kind of believe that there, you know, a lot of people that have speculated within the mainstream are onto the right path, that the fourth dimension is actually where we are right now. And then the fifth dimension is where we have the opportunity to go to. And that's just another vibrational frequency. Yeah, because I mean, you know, we think of time like as a ticking clock for obvious reasons, yeah. you know, but it's more like time is change. If nothing changed, there'd be no time, mm. which is, again, a, a void, I guess. Um, do you do, what numbers do you encounter in your life now that we've gotten knee deep in the numerology? Um, I'm just going to throw out for some reason, I always come across the number 268. So when my students ask me the someone inane question, what's your favorite number? I can always just blast that out at them. So that's kind of fun. <laughs> that's, that's you say your favorite number is 268? No, it's the number I keep running across in my life. So I decided that that's yeah. my that's my number. <laughs> I, I see like, 47 a lot. Oh, yeah, that's the Star Trek number. Yeah, I was watching Voyager last night where they're like, um, there's 47 gel packs on the ship. Um, I emailed, I was messaging my dad uh, to start a Zoom a few days ago. And I was like, we got, we only have a little bit of time. We have 87 things to do. And he said he was actually typing the number 87 to me at that moment. So that was pretty weird. <laughs> so, Luke, you got a number? What's 69. <laughs> <laughs> that is an answer. It's that <laughs> that or 420 blazing, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So any other uh, big, big points we wanted to go throw out on this one? 
Not really. I mean, to go completely opposite end of the spectrum. Yeah, go for it. Um, I can see how after this film, he got the gig to make Dune. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> it's such a different kind of spaceship to what you're used to seeing from your Star Wars and your Star Trek. And then, yeah, when we finally got Dune, he made all the technology seem like this incredibly ancient, the, even the people who made it have forgotten how they made it, like monolithic stuff. And it was such a perfect fit for that story. And he made the Blade Runner, which I haven't seen, in between, was it? Oh, yeah. Um, he, I always forget he made that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a, that's his other... Well, I, I don't think you... Did you watch that? I watched, I watched it at theater, but I haven't seen it since. Okay, I haven't seen it at all yet, so um, <laughs> we have to watch the first one. But yeah, yeah, that like I feel like yeah, seeing Dune, I I guess he's an uh, innovative enough filmmaker. There's a little bit of a disconnect with just the new stuff he's doing. So Dune, you know, I'd read the book, I'd seen the Lynch version. Mm. That that was kind of good for me. I mean, to be like a key into his cinematic world. So now watching this one, I I could appreciate it more this time. And he not- does make very sort of auburn sepia toned movies um so i can see why you're disappointed you don't get those trippy colors but i think if you would just accept that's the sort of color palette you're getting he probably is the best in business at doing it yeah yeah that was the table i came on watching it this time so yeah like when i go to a villainu movie i know i'm getting that sort of color palette but it's going to look gorgeous in its own way yeah, I've already mispronounced enough words. I was going to let you say his name first, which you did. So <laughs> It's like um, wiping your ass with silk. Ooh. <laughs> it's, it's wonderful and horrible at the same time. This is now a six-year-old movie. It's had a uh, some some part of holding up or not holding up. Um, how much is this in the conversation? I mean, we've we I guess we've kind of been mumbling this movie for the past two years without really thinking about it too hard. <laughs> I think it is the movie that, like, if you say I'm I'm into sci-fi, people will be like, "Oh, have you seen Arrival?" I think it's got the reputation as like this is the recent clever film. Uh, I don't know how much of like a big cultural impact it had. Other yeah, than it, I, I feel that yeah, the cultural impact in the mainstream not so much. I don't think people knew what to do with it. It was just like a movie that you know, just another movie. However, within the spiritual, you know, there is no real community, but this fractalized spiritual community that does exist, um, that people are into not non, and to be more clear about how what that means non-dogmatic non-organized religion spiritual people and people into ufos and ets they all like if you say have you seen arrival they'll be like yes and they will probably have a comment on 
how it's so great because it was, you know, painting extraterrestrials in a positive light rather than showing the regular evil alien. So I've had many conversations with people that I work with, um, you know, when we're just hanging out and we would talk about arrival and it would always go down that route of how like it gave us hope that, and at that moment when it came out, it actually gave us collectively hope that I even had, I was even on a podcast back then when it came out, um, how it gave us hope that Hollywood is transitioning from showing us evil aliens to something more positive, but it was just kind of a blip in the <laughs> matrix, you know, that they just did it for one moment and didn't really continue with it, you know, because it doesn't really, I don't feel like if you, if there's no like conflict like that, it doesn't sell as good as like things where there's like somebody to conquer, like someone to be victorious over. Well, they're saying that I can't think of a uh, many evil aliens we've had since this film came out either. Yeah, what's a alien sci-fi movie that came out since then? We had that terrible Independence Day sequel. Wasn't that the same year as this? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Again, his other movies with uh, yeah, yeah. yeah well, that, neither of his other movies have aliens in. Yeah, well, Dune, they they're all aliens. No, but well, Dune—they're all human. Come. Oh yeah, you're right. <laughs> And we had a couple of years where there was just shit coming out, you know, like yeah. freaking during during COVID, there was like nothing really good coming out. Yeah, movie yeah. every three months. Although we did have Tenant, which also obviously hits the, the palindrome button. That this this movie did yeah. so, yeah. <laughs> and the whole I mean they they do the time thing differently. They in Christopher Nolan's mind, line time is the most linear thing possible. He's just gonna play with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the character still experiences time completely linearly. He just happens to be traveling back and forth through it. Right. So but, but then yeah, a lot of his other films, time is all over the place. Well, Inception's got the you know the dream layer, so that's a little different. But even you go to something like Prestige and Batman Begins, the film cuts back and forth. Oh right, okay. It's a non-linear story. You you experience the film non-linearly. I guess I'm saying uh, he like this movie is basically like time breaks down, right? Yeah. Which is spiritually cool. Where Christopher Nolan is a lot more nuts and bolts. Like he'll he'll do very inventive things with it, but it's still nuts and bolts. And and but, um, even Interstellar, love transcends time. And yeah, that's why people. I mean, I you I. I, you love that movie. I love that movie. But a lot of people don't love that movie for, for yeah. that reason. <laughs> they wanted the nuts and bolts. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I was mentioned before I, we were recording about just, you know, um, some of the t television sci-fi certainly has some interesting takes on the aliens. The newer Treks, of course, where um, yeah. you mentioned Discovery when it came on the last season. Discovery is meeting the 10 cc has a similar sequence to uh this movie where they're trying to learn how to communicate with these things uh so i would say that the last season of discovery is definitely kind of a you know they'd watched arrival at least once or twice <laughs> well i feel like this movie had seen um the Darmok at jalad episode of star trek that's in my notes somewhere yes yeah <laughs> just the how do you communicate when you're coming from like such a different position? Mm -hmm. I'm sitting here to see if I had just written the notes straight out or, uh, or yeah, if I did something witty. Start to discovery, there's that, that anomaly that's screwing everything up, but these beings didn't even know they were doing it. Is that correct? And then right. they're trying to find and yeah, they're, they're, contact. Sorry, Luke, we're spoiling you, but you don't care that much. But yeah, they're trying to mine a certain element from the mm. galaxy. 
from the gal they live outside the galaxy they're trying to yeah. mine inside the galaxy and it's you know it's like us mining like we don't really think about all the bugs living in the ground so when they do this they're just destroying worlds uh because they don't understand that these are like sentient planets and things so mm. we have to go talk to them a bit and, and tell them that and, and what at first like oh we'll just make sure we're doing like depopulated areas uh, and then at the end, it's sort of like, no, you really, you just have to stop doing this. You have to find another way because it, you know, you're. It well, I doesn't... haven't watched that part yet, bro. <laughs> oh, sorry, I'm spoiling everybody here. Okay, yeah, it's been out for six months, <laughs> but but it, it it does pertain to this movie. So I would actually say, um, Discovery's not my favorite Star Trek, but yeah, that last season really does kind of take the thread from Arrival. So if that's a way I guess it holds up pretty well that uh, yeah. at least the television sci-fi uh, the Orville is doing a bit of that too so cool. I love the Orville. But, yeah generally this kind of more thoughtful sci-fi has been on TV right and the movies are generally it's like you have to have a big action set piece and whatever blah 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 even Star Trek right the motion picture tried to do this kind of storytelling didn't sell so it's like okay Wrath of Khan <laughs> Yeah, so I I guess these movies make it through the big budget Hollywood cracks every once in a while, and and we're all the better for it. So occasionally yeah. you get your close encounters, you get this. I mean, hey, we got this in Interstellar within like a year of each other. That's pretty hip. Maybe two years. <laughs> Aha. Okay, I guess we'll wind this one down then. So yeah, good movie. You should watch it. Think about it. It's one to think about. <laughs> if you haven't watched it and you just listened to this podcast, we spoiled everything. <laughs> but I think it's still worth seeing. Discovery. <laughs> <laughs> um, Neil, can you tell everyone a bit about your website and uh, how to find your stuff? Yeah, for sure. You can check me out at portal2sentry.org. If you sign up there on our website, you get a username and password emailed to you. There's thousands of hours of presentations, um, a lot of information on UFOs, extraterrestrials. Uh, but one of the main things... Well, ET's UFO is definitely big, but a lot of ancient history information and redefining the timeline because, you know, history has been written and rewritten by the victors so many times. We're so away from the original truth. So we work with many researchers, archaeologists um, and beyond that are reconstructing humanity's history and redating ancient structures. So you'll have that there, but the whole entire component of everything we do is spiritually oriented, even orientated, even the the whole understanding of ancient civilizations and their awareness of consciousness right so you can check that out portal2ascension.org and the other place is youtube youtube.com slash portal2ascension we go live every single day with some sort of presentation there so you can subscribe and get notifications on all the information that we're putting out there okay luke do the thing you've enjoyed this podcast it's on twitter at mlsfs pod or also on facebook youtube spotify apple podcasts all of that just search matt luke sci-fi sanctuary if you've enjoyed it you want to help keep it online you can go to patreon.com slash podcastio podcastius where you can throw us a dollar a month to keep it online and from there you can find links to the other podcasts that me and matt create like matt's podcast about the twilight zone uh time enough podcast his podcast about weird experimental educational movies oral hygiene you can find my video gaming podcasts like luke loves pokemon Monster Mash and the Game Game Show. That's our life. Wake up in the morning, do a podcast, go to work. <laughs> yeah, we're close to having like one coming out every day of the week. So, <laughs> yeah, I got to be productive. So, yeah, how, how do we end this one? What I want to do is like squirt black ink at my uh, at my at my camera, but actually, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs>
Hello, welcome. Arrived they 2016 year the in. All right. <laughs> Summer Wars, Con.